Now, this issue, because it counters the mainstream narratives around what people should care about, is considered a right-wing issue. That's that's not, I think, necessarily because it's a right-wing issue. It's it, because the left control all centers of power today. So if you are saying anything that challenges the dominant narrative within society, you are considered a far-right activist within today's informational ecosystem. So we're like, okay, we can use this to our advantage. In yeah. fact, the negativity the press shows us in a way vets us with conservative and moderate audiences. They yeah. see skepticism about reasonable causes as validation of those causes, realism, efficacy, and, and grassroots nature. Would you like to know more? You look like you're actually in some kind of equivalent of a man cave, just like sitting there in the darkness and like, here I am with my candles over there and the you know, windows and like, there you are. And yeah, it looks like it's two different times a day in our two areas. Yeah, like we're in different time zones. Um, but I do like my man caves. You know that. I love the dark. Yeah, you love the darkness. And like defensible corners, you know, like yes. you got to know your And it's exits. actually interesting how much defensibility is important to me in terms of being comfortable in a room. Yeah, even if we're like sitting down at a restaurant, you're going to want the, the, the defensible seat. Well, you know, that's what so much of feng shui really is, is just defensibility. Hmm. Yes. And that's why it feels like it works for people because what they're really sensing is how mm. defensible is the space I'm looking at. I mean, I think a lot of aesthetics fall into this category as well. That is a very when interesting people are take. like, I like this view, and it's like, well, what type of views do you like? You know, it's like, well, I like a view where I can see a long way and there's water like streams present so it's like oh so what you like is a fresh water supply in a highly defensible area where you're on some sort of high ground right and they're like no 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 i also like other views like i love views of the ocean it's like oh okay so you love views of an area where <laughs> you have you know a lot of food and and likely you know it's so much of human aesthetics and human pre-programming is just around defensibility and the yeah. things that or would will, have caused Will our... I survive here? And yeah, it, yeah. and that, that includes both will I survive if someone tries to attack me and also are there natural resources here that will sustain me? <laughs> and that's beautiful. Yeah. Hooray. Uh, but we want to talk about something else today, not about human Ooh. evolution, which is one of our big things. But instead, anyway, but we will talk about one of the things that has been most controversial about our general strategy with our nonprofit. Very, very controversial. Which is being intentionally courting controversy. Yeah. Intentionally courting controversy. So why, why do we do this? Why do we intentionally court controversy? Because a lot of people see this. We've been called, what it was that Sony documentary on us. It was like their human memes or something. Oh, yeah. Like walking... Yeah. Memes. So a lot of people just just for a bit of uh, background, if you're watching this channel and you're looking at the subscriber count and you're like, you know, I feel like I see these people in the news a lot. Why isn't their subscriber count higher? It's because this channel was dormant when most of our media coverage happened. So obviously, if you look at this channel, you'll see stuff from like 15 years ago, right? Simone used this a lot when she was younger. We had a period where we revived it for a bit, but it hadn't been used in like three or four years when we were, you know, whether it was on Piers Morgan or whether it was on Chris Williamson or whether it was, you know, had the front page piece on us and in uh, the Telegraph or the front page piece on us in the National Post or that big viral insider piece or the elite couple breeding to save mankind piece. All of that happened when this channel was dormant. 
if this channel had been active during that period, we would have caught all of that. And this got us to a stance where we're like, okay, well, we need to reactivate the channel again so we can catch all of that. But we have had multiple periods where to an extent for different ends, we needed to court a level of controversy to promote something that was of short-term utility to us. The first time we really went viral that a lot of people are familiar with is the Reddit proposal, which, what was the the old internet magazine that rated it the most romantic moment of the year? Um, oh, yeah, that was nice. This was Upward? Up, I don't know. Up one theme? of the many bankrupt internet magazines out there. Yeah, it was, it was whatever the the main one was back then. The and Daily you know, Dot. no, the Daily Dot did a piece on us. Mashable did a piece on us. PC Magazine did a piece on us. But this one. was anyway. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. This is when we were proposing, and I did it both because I know Simone. Well, she doesn't like personally interacting with people or humans in public. She doesn't mind human attention on the internet, and so that was. I wanted my... a grand public display. But I also yeah. didn't want to be in public. So you nailed it, Malcolm. <laughs> but it was also something that I could use to leverage the launch of our first company, Art Corgi, which went through 500 startups. And, you know, we, 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 we got VC funding for it. It didn't end up working out, but we didn't ever raise that much for it. So we didn't put too many people out. But that was something where we were like, okay. And that was also in part an experiment for us because we had somebody who had told us before as people know we go to a bunch of secret society things and at one i was like well you can intentionally create a viral event and they go no you can't and this person was a marketing expert they were seen as one of the world experts in marketing and i was like no you absolutely can and they're like no you don't understand i'm one of the world experts in marketing and you're just some idiot kid who's in graduate school right now right and i was like hey, screw you i'm gonna do it so there was a there's an element of pride in doing that as well this is all because someone told you you couldn't do a thing well, you don't, you got to learn that with our kids, Simone. Don't yeah, tell them they can't do things. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because they will desperately try to do all of those things. Mm. But then there's the second thing, which is this second more recent pronatalist virality that we've had. And I'd point out that literally the human being on earth with the largest platform, the largest platform of any human on earth, more wealth, more power than probably any human has had in human history, Elon Musk, has been pushing for people call, caring about birth rates long before we did. Okay? He created almost no sustained buzz around this. People were like, oh, it's weird that he's talking about this. And a VC here or there began to care about it. But it did not enter the mainstream narrative. We came at this in where we created a website around this and we're like, so a lot of people don't know how the website actually came to be. We had this one year where we're like, okay, we are going to blue sky how we can change the world in a positive direction. And what we were looking for was arbitrage areas. So we were looking for areas where we could do a project where no competent people were working, but that were either like real big and real like severe human problems or yeah, that was it. And we came up yeah, with- So we created problems. our list of like, here are the things that we know are existential threats to humanity. Obviously demographic collapse was on there ever since he worked in South Korea. There were a bunch yeah, of the, other things though too. There were lots of other the, things. The other one that was on there was education reform. 
that no competent person was working in education reform. And that's oh, yeah, that where we didn't find, yeah, anyone else working. And on then the, the final one that didn't end up becoming a, a big project of ours was the panspermia initiative. So this was, I was like, okay, if you care about like nature and the environment, all right, so what makes nature and the environment good? Like diversity, right? Like it's the diversity of ecology that gives it this intrinsic value. When people are like, I'm mad that species are going extinct, they're, I mean, there's idiots who are like, I want to freeze all species in their place <laughs> in the world today, right now, and nothing can ever change or evolve. Right. But for the group that's, that's like natural like, <laughs> and not like retarded. Everybody knows you never go full retard. You went full retard, man. Never go full retard. Are we allowed to say retarded again? I don't I, know. I think, I think, I think, yeah, the hard, the hard R is coming back. Yeah. Yeah. People who aren't retarded because nobody uses it to mean people with like mental disabilities anymore. Now it just means like no. yeah. people who are retarded. We are really trying to understand this. How is it that you boys think referring to gay people as fags in today's world is acceptable? Because we're not referring to gay people. You can be gay and not be a fag. Yeah. A lot of fags aren't gay. I happen to be gay boys. Do you think I'm a fag? Do you ride a big loud Harley and go up and down the streets ruining everyone's nice time? No. Then you're not a fag. So what if a guy is gay and rides a Harley? Then he's a gay fag. I mean, is this really this hard? I don't know. This is fucking ridiculous. All right, look, you're driving in your car, okay? And you're waiting to make a left at a traffic signal. The light turns yellow, should be your turn to go, but the traffic coming at you just keeps coming. And even when the light turns red, a guy in a BMW runs the red light so you can't make your left turn. What goes through your mind? Fag. Right! But you're not thinking, oh, he's a homosexual. You're thinking, oh, he's an inconsiderate douchebag like a Harley rider. This, this is making insanely good sense to me. Right. Oh, God, they're so... So what they actually care about is ecological diversity. Well, it's like, well, how do you long-term maximize ecological diversity? It's you seed new planets with life, right? Like, that would do much more because each new planet you seed with life is an entirely new biome that's evolving that's as equally rich as Earth's biome. Like, almost nothing we do on Earth would be meaningful in contrast to that. You save one pitiful species, one pitiful ecosystem, we've created an entire new biome. And so we looked at the cost of doing this. And because you can get little capsules on satellites, you can pay like $50,000 to get a capsule on a satellite, which is most Ooh, of the cost of the planet. Then you can use a serial evolution chamber. This is a chamber where you're incrementally changing the conditions within the, the chamber to create, you know, a form of bacteria or a form of fungus that's resistant to like the type of radiation you would see on Mars by slowly changing the amount of radiation that it's facing, slowly changing the, the heat variation that it's, that it's exposed to. Uh, some just quickly breeding organism. Then you put it in one of these, you send it to one of these planets, you can seed them, and the, the, this seeding would eventually lead to, no, would lead to a, a whole biome growing there. Now, what would be better, and one of the reasons why I went against doing this, is if we had more funding to do this, and the amount that we would probably be looking at is doing this, is we could probably do seeding with gene-engineered organisms instead of just serially evolved organisms. And through that, seed biomes with bacteria, fungus, whatever it is that turns out to work best, that are programmed to create an atmosphere that humans can live within. And if we do it with something that's not programmed to create that, then you're going to get like local optimization beforehand. And then if you tried to later seed it with something that was optimized around doing that, it wouldn't be successful. And that would put our species back, the thing that to us matters the most. I mean, our long-term goal is in intergalactic human empire whatever becomes of humanity not like 
you know, again, just like the environment, there's no point in freezing humans in our evolution that, that somewhat defeats the purpose of what makes humanity great. So that was the one project that didn't, but we had created pernatalist.org and we were basically like seeding it. We had reached out to a few reporters, but nothing really came of it. And then the piece came of us because of our embryo selection. And that was actually promoted by one of the companies that we were working with. And that got us a platform. And then that platform was picked up by the insider article. And then that created the initial virality around this. Now that was very useful to us because after that, we, be, we we sort of became the faces of pernatalism and we're like, okay, like this actually is an existential issue for our species. Let's move forwards in how we address this. And you guys are getting like a way too honest history of how we got into this, but it is useful in terms of understanding. So then we begin to do some experimentation around this and how we engaged with reporters. Like, do we edge the reporters with controversy or do we actually try to convince the reporters that this isn't a controversial issue? When we did that, we got a piece on us in the third most read newspaper in Canada, the National Post. It was a front page piece on us. and It was very popular. Demographical ups. And it was a very balanced, very positive on pernatalism and our advocacy literally got like seven Twitter followers. Like if you're, if you're measuring like how much people liked this from Twitter followers. I don't even know if we got any Twitter followers on that or if anyone really got in like the, what, what I'm looking at when I look at like, is one of our articles here a success? I'm looking at like, is there, are people talking about this online? Is there engagement with the article? Like are people encountering this and actually learning about the problem and discovering that this is an issue? And then, maybe changing their behavior about it or maybe they'll change their voting patterns because of this and yeah that got basically no interaction and and then in contrast the first article about us that kind of framed us as pronatalist that as malcolm said framed us in that way because of previous coverage we got because we worked with the company genomic prediction on polygenic risk score selection which we just we did that press for them or like we did an interview for them with bloomberg because we really were excited about their tech. Like that was it. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is great. We wanted to shout this from the hilltops. No one else is willing to talk about it. So, okay, fine, we will. But yeah, this so this Paywalled Insider article about pronatalism and us that like most people couldn't even access got tons of engagement and was really like many people's first encounter with the concept of pronatalism, like outside of just religious groups not being... Well, it was literally the first public push for pronatalism other than Elon Musk. Yeah, yeah. Well, the thing is, like, when Elon Musk talks about anything, it could be immigration, it could be pronatalism, it could be cats. Someone is going to cover it because he's, like Malcolm said, the most powerful person out there. So, like, yeah, again, like, what we want to see is can advocates in the space get people talking about it independent of a a person or independent of what this person has to carry everything. And so what we realized pretty quickly was that the controversial pieces were actually the pieces that were doing well. Mm -hmm. Specifically, and and this is our thesis when we look at the internet today. I mean, I consider myself a terminally on, I I am a child of the internet. You know, the Bane speech. Oh, you think darkness is your ally. You merely adopted the dark. I was born in it. Molded by it. I didn't see the light until I was already a man. By then it was nothing to me but blinding. The shadows betray you because they belong to me. 
I was raised, the first generation raised was in these ultra online spaces. I made all of my early friends through the internet. This was in an age where this was considered an insane thing to do, to like reach out to random people on the internet to make all your friends. So I understand this culture, I think much more intuitively and innately than most people was in my generation. And through that, mm -hmm. I am able to engage in, 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 in direct the currents where I want them to go much, much more easily than the, the mainstream iterations of, of our group. And what I've realized is that if you unironically say that I support something was in online spaces these days, like if you're on 4chan or something where like actual internet culture happens and you're like, I unironically support this, you are a shill. You're just seen as a shill. Like people, it doesn't matter if you really mean to support it or not. You cannot unironically support a thing within online spaces anymore um, and, and, and have that thing go viral or have that thing take off. It just hasn't happened. Yeah. If you look at right-leaning influencers that have taken off in the last 10 years, every single conservative or right-leaning or even moderate online influencer that has gained prominence in the last half decade to decade has done so through specifically controversy. You know, you look at Andrew Tate, you look at Jordan Peterson, all of these individuals, it was their controversy, it was their fight with the media that rose them to prominence. Now, this issue, because it counters the mainstream narratives around what people should care about, is considered a right-wing issue. That's that's not, I think, necessarily because it's a right-wing issue. It's it, because the left control all centers of power today. So if you are saying anything that challenges the dominant narrative within society, you are considered a far-right activist within today's informational ecosystem so we're like okay we can use this to our advantage and we began to push this narrative of us as human clickbait you know being as juicy of a story as possible for these individuals who wanted to create these memeable shareable stories and a lot of people then look at this and they're like no that's just people laughing at you, not laughing with you. That's not you, you know, the, you have the know your meme page about the elite couple breeding to save mankind. And it's like, this is just objectively not true. We see this both from our follower count, from the people who positively reach out to us about funding things that we're doing to the people, like they almost always hear about us from negative articles. In yeah. fact, the negativity the press shows us in a way vets us with conservative and moderate audiences they yeah. see skepticism about reasonable causes as validation of those causes realism efficacy and and grassroots nature okay I, so I will, here, add, I will add just like as a sanity test if you read something like a, a clearly negative and against someone article about them you're probably not going to think that anything positive that you think about them was untrue. Like if there's still some things that you like about them, it's not going to be because someone was writing a puff piece and you fell for it. You know, it's because you yourself decided that despite all these bad things about them, there are some things about what they're doing or who they are that you kind of like. Mm -hmm. And that's, yeah. that's why like you, you can't trust anything that's positive because there are so many lies. There's so much inflation. Like no one's face is real online. No one's anything is real online anymore it seems like everything's fake and so only unflattering and negative stuff like again like if you see an unflattering photo of someone online that looks bad you're more likely to be like oh yeah that's that's really them but like they they actually look pretty good you know but it has to be yeah. an unflattering so, so for example. example so people will think okay this works with right-wing people but it doesn't work on converting left-leaning people to your ideas wrong 
So you will get pieces. So here's an example of an email we got from someone. Hello, I first discovered the two of you from your, quote, meet the elite couples breeding to save mankind, end quote, article that went viral. I laughed it off at the time, but soon I started to feel miserable for the nihilism and general depressive nature of the antinatalist thinking that seems so pervasive everywhere. I remembered your article and started digging into your philosophy a bit more. I've listened to most of your podcast episodes and have read The Pragmatist Guide to Life, and I plan to read more of your books. I really like your approach to life and to the future of humanity. I like the that you are hopeful and optimistic about building a better world for your children. And I want to be part of that better world also. And, and this is something that we see all the time. You know, this is not like an isolated type of outreach we get from somebody. The idea of genuine, like just being a genuinely wholesome, positive person. One of the, the things that I always say that I'm trying to be that I, I got from a review of one of our books is that we were like the mirror world. You know, people know like the mirror world. Live long and prosper. entire galaxy out there for us to conquer and we are here with these petty interhuman fights right now over teeny things like nationality and ethnicity when existential threats likely loom in our future that we're going to need to band together to fight and to fix or at least those of us humans who still have agency and aren't attempting to drag down our species into a silent death or a, a violent barbarism mr marsh what exactly are you trying to accomplish we have to take matters into our own hands we're trying to turn everyone gay so that there are no future humans present day america number one from like star trek where like everyone has mustaches and is evil <laughs> we try to be like mirror world mr rogers right like try to be as almost oppressively wholesome as possible in the way we approach things while still constantly edging on controversy and through that confirmation confluence the controversy pushes people in and then they see who we really are and they're like why is no one else I listen to like an actually healthily, happily married couple? Why is no one else I'm listening to like actually optimistic about the future of the world and happy and working to try and create the world a better place instead of running around with a bunch of chickens with their heads cut off and, and yelling and trying to build random followings? It is you use, you, you create, you bait the trap with the ridiculousness and you reel them in with the wholesomeness. That is the way that we exercise everything. And, and the idea of baiting political traps was something that I personally really learned from Trump. This wasn't something that I had always seen as a really effective strategy. What he would constantly do is say things that were uniquely controversial to the media. Like the media would see this and be like, how could anyone ever say that? Because they were so leftist, they were so in a bubble that they were brainwashed that they didn't understand that your average citizen hearing this would be like, oh, of course. And so they then signal boost those things and through signal boosting them, but with the negative context attached to them, they 
endeared people to him. A great example of this that I always use is when he was like, well, we don't want to be like those shitty countries in Africa. And the media was like, how dare he say we don't want to be like shitty countries in Africa. And your average person is like, I mean, but I don't want to, would you attack me if I said that? Does this mean that I'm against you? Does this mean that I'm not part of this cultural group that I thought I was? Does this mean that Trump is telling the truth about things? And this is something that Trump constantly did very effectively in the early days. I, I, you know, I'm not like a full Trumpist or anything like that. I definitely have my consternations with his moral character and some of the directions he takes things. But I just think he was a pretty good president. But I, um, I do, I do want to point something really important out because basically yeah. what we're saying here is like, oh, just like allow yourself to be made fun of, have have unflattering stuff about yourself float around online, you know, have you know, be court controversy, etc. And then, and then of course people will just see the truth, and then they'll they'll disproportionately, you know, come over to your side or like, no, no. So really what this does is still tons of people make fun of you. Tons of people still hate you. Tons of people think you're absolute monsters. And then like the few, the, well, basically we had this earlier philosophy that, that I think this came out of, which was, it's good to be completely transparent about who you are, because if someone is, is going to like you, then they're going to like you sooner. And if someone was never going to like you anyway, like, why would hiding that thing that you knew they wouldn't like, like you're, you're just prolonging the inevitable. They're never going to be on your side. So basically exactly. we're, we're, we're definitely never going to be liked by a lot of people. And now a whole lot more people who didn't know we exist now just don't like us because they were never going to like us. And this has had a genuine cost. There are people who, and I think a lot of people right now, and, and this is fair because I think a lot of people don't have the same kind of autistic thick skins that we do. Like, we just really don't care, especially about the opinions of people who we think are being completely illogical. So, and you care and that enough is actually to angrily rebut them in email. Today, she got this really, really bad anti-natalist argument, and it just angered her so much. Well, it's just when it. when an argument's that bad, I, I, yeah, I can't help myself. But like, I, I don't care if people are like, "Oh, you're evil and 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 whatever and and ugly and all the other other things people say." I'm like, yeah, sure, but there we have people are very sensitive about their reputations online. A lot of people won't even at, like be online or show their face online or be themselves online, like their real names and their real faces, because they're so concerned about their reputations. And that means that we have lost a decent number of friends who just don't want to be associated with us, who literally do not want to be seen with us because we are controversial and because they fear that any association with us is going to tarnish their reputations. They're, they're interested in personal vanity. They're interested <laughs> in a reputation of as an un, a wholesome, totally good person who, because they see our wholesomeness and they're attracted to us because of that. But when they see that the public, not everyone in the public sees it, they want to utilize, they're like, oh, well, I like that aspect of you. Like, I like who you really are as a person, but I don't like how that could affect my reputation. Hmm. And I understand this. You know, a lot of people live for personal vanity. And yeah. so, of course, if they are living primarily for personal vanity rather than the betterment of the human species, rather than to save a species at a perilous point in our history, they're not going to understand why we do things that lead to, because it's an instinctual human drive to not have the tribe reject you or anything like that. That this can be utilized to slingshot you. You know, it's a bit like in the current context, that famous Apollo mission where they utilize the moon gravity to slingshot them back to Earth because they didn't mm. have enough 
fuel, fuel to get back on their own. We're utilizing that to slingshot us is to them an anathema and against the natural order. And they're like, no, I just care about, you know, and I get it. I get it. And, it, and so it has had a cost to us. But I also believe that we are well on track. So this is one thing that's really important. As I pointed out at the start, Elon Musk has been hampering on this issue forever. He has infinitely more power and money than we do. And yet he was unable to pierce the mainstream veil with this. This year, New York Times did a front page piece on demographic collapse. This is something that when I talk to your average citizen on the street about, they now have an opinion about. We pierced the mains. We didn't just pierce it. We popped the bubble. Like, it is out now. This is part of Trump's re-election campaign. It's like one of his core platforms where he's like, oh, you men, you're going to have so much sex now because of me, because he's going to put in such pernatalist policies. And this was due to us using memeability to pierce that veil because that what is memeability is a viral idea it's an idea that spreads on its own when you start spreading this idea your idiots hear it they hear the elite couple breeding to save mankind and they laugh ah, ha, 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 let's make memes about this but then other people are like wait what what do you mean the elite that's an absurd thing to say who would say that why would they say that and then they look into this and they're like oh they seem weirdly wholesome or they seem like demographic collapse when i look at the numbers seems like a real issue well, why the I important thing is to like to properly make fun of us you kind of also have to understand what we're fighting for which means you kind of have to understand demographic collapse which is why now a lot of people are like oh yeah let's have this conversation plus you know like so i think the big takeaways we should share is one courting controversy Definitely. I mean, and this is a known tactic. Like people have written PR books on how like hate spreads faster than love. Now that, you know, vice has, has gone bankrupt. A lot of people who were previously like held to all these non-disclosure statements have just decided to break them. And they're like, oh yeah, vice would tell me to like send my story to someone who is like clearly opposed to it and have them make fun of it because they knew that the hate shares would be way more effective at driving clicks than hate positive shares. Mm-hmm. And, and so, so one, yes, hate is, is very effective. If you want to raise awareness about something, doing so through controversy, through unflattering angles, through all sorts of stuff like that, that, that is, or getting your enemies to cover it you know, or the enemies of that cause, the, the opposition to cover it is very effective. However, there is a real cost, especially if you're using yourself as the conduit for that. So just keep that in mind, but that, you know, at least this explains why, like we, we get so many more people who would never otherwise engage with this idea to engage with the idea of pernatalism and demographic collapse by <laughs> by throwing ourselves under the bus. So well, I mean, uh, we, we started this movement like less than a year after we started this movement. We had front page piece in the New York Times and a conference being held that we didn't put together on the concept of of pronatalism like like our iteration of pronatalism not like the religious kind that existed before us and stuff like that the amount of success i think we've had is undeniable within the public sphere and it is it's it's working like this could be if you look at how big a problem demographic collapse is this could be what saves our frigging species from going extinct. It is worth sacrificing one family on the altar of memeability, especially when that family doesn't mind so much. Yeah, there you go. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. I love Thanks you to for, Desmond. you know, walking through hell with me, Malcolm. No, I'm the one who pulled you into this.
I'm too autistic. I am so glad that you have taken the risk you did with me, that you have worked to keep this movement one of positivity, to keep it from going in the ethnocentric direction that we've seen with the European iteration of this movement. And I think that we can spread this to something that can really pierce the veil of a lot of people who have had reality and the statistical reality of the world we live in hidden from them by both the academic system. It was so funny, we were talking to a reporter recently. Sorry, I know I've got to go get the kids, but I got to relay this anecdote. And she was like, I have talked to a lot of demographers and all of them say it is impossible to predict demography long-term. So there's no reason to prepare for any changes. And I was like, all of the leading indicators suggest decline. Relates of religiosity. I can ask Gen Alpha. I can ask Gen C, how many kids do you plan on having? I can, do you plan on having kids at all? All of them are worse numbers than before. And she's like, yeah, but it's what the academics say. And it's like, there's this class that's just deluded, completely deluded into seeing reality. Anyway. Love you to death. Love you too, gorgeous.